Amen. Since Adam, every one of us have had a problem of sin. The God who created us, we sinned against him. And because of our sin, we could never attain righteousness. We could never get to heaven on our own. We would always fall short every time. And every time she's saying that word, Emmanuel, uh, the definition of that is God with us. The same God that we sinned against, the same God who created us for his pleasure that we wronged, came to this earth in the form of a baby, a very humble fashion for you and for me. And we can praise him for that today, can't we? Amen. Let's all stand together. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Last week we looked there in Luke chapter 1 after Mary received the news. She went to her cousin Elizabeth's house and we saw her begin to speak to Elizabeth. And it wasn't an easy time for her. You could imagine as a young teenage girl the pressure that she felt and uh, just the fear that might have tried to creep up occasionally in her heart and mind, the huge responsibility, she was carrying the Savior of the world. And what did she do? She magnified her God. And uh, we need to do the same thing in every situation in our life. In the good times, magnify Him. In the bad times, magnify Him. And if we're going to look at the greatest story ever told this morning, Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to read the first 20 verses of this chapter. I'm trying to save some preaching for next Sunday. And I'm planning on being in John chapter 1 then. We'll recap the story here as well. Uh, but Luke chapter 2, there's some things that I think will be a help to us today. So let's begin reading here in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had heard and seen as it was told unto them. We just read the passage of Jesus' birth. And the title for the message this morning is, How Does Jesus' Birth Affect You? 
How does Jesus' birth affect you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, the privilege that it is to be in church this morning. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, first of all, be with me. Lord, I need your help this morning. Strengthen me. God, to preach your word, your way. God, I pray that every one in the pew this morning, God, would, uh, Lord, be able to lay all things aside at this moment. Lord, no distractions. Lord, if there's any sin in our hearts, God, I pray that we'd give that to you, Lord, so we can receive your word as you intend for us to receive it and speak to you as we seek to speak to you. Lord, be with every aspect of the service, be with the children and the other building. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For over 400 years, the Jews had waited on God to do something. They had his prophecy. They had all the words that God had given to them at that point. They had the law. They had the scriptures. They had the message of the prophets. They had the prophecy of a Messiah one day coming. Every year they hoped. Every year they wondered if this was the year or, or if the person they just saw that they'd never seen before might be the one that God had promised to them. And centuries of silence, they continued to go through the motions and go through those seasons of waiting and waiting. But as we look at the story here in Luke chapter 1 and in the book of Matthew as well, at the very moment that God sent the angel to Zechariah of his son John the Baptist, at the very moment that the angel went to Mary and to Joseph, everything changed, didn't it? God came to them and he had not forgotten his people and this birth was going to change everything forever. As we look at this passage in Luke, we see really one of the most beautifully written narratives in the Bible. I've had, I think I've had verse 1 through 14 memorized since I was five years old. And I could sit here and I could quote it for you just as I learned as a, as a little boy. It's something that we've heard so many times in our life and it warms our heart every time we hear it. What I want to remind you about today is what we just read in Luke chapter 2 is not just a feel-good story. It's not something that really should just continue to make us warm and fuzzy even though it will every time we hear it. It is a recorded historical fact. One of the greatest events in all of human history. It was God reaching down for all of mankind and giving us everything that we needed for salvation. And for every one of us that have heard this story before, that story should have changed your life. And for those that might be here today that have never heard this story, hearing it should change a person's life. As we look at the story this morning, I want to ask you, how has the birth of Christ affected you? And how should it continue to affect you today? We begin here in verse 1. They give us great details of his birth and we're reminded of the prophecy that had come. The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was no accident. It was predicted years before that it would come to pass in this very way. And if you look in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we looked at it just a couple weeks ago. It says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This was common knowledge. The Jews knew that one day the prophets had told that the Messiah, the one that God sent, was going to come out of that little lowly city, of Bethlehem. And if you were to look in Matthew chapter 2, you can look at it later. The, in the Matthew account, the wise men, they saw the star in the east and they, they went towards the star. And as they were headed towards it, they stopped in the city and they began to speak to Herod about what they were looking for. We know the story there. Herod was upset and, and was a little threatened by this 
child that the wise men were looking for and he gathered up everyone he could to find out who exactly this baby was and they came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2 verse 4 and it says and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together he demanded of them where Christ should be born and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet now Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel Herod was threatened by that But it was something the Jews knew, it was something the priests knew, it was was something of common knowledge that one day the Messiah, this this great governor, this great leader, the one that they were hoping for, was going to come from that city of Bethlehem. In the beginning of the Gospels, and as we read today, we find that very prophecy coming to pass. And a little side note for you this morning, aren't you glad that our God is a God who fulfills his promises? As much as I love the prophecy coming true, I love God's providence to make that prophecy come true. If you look here in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Verse 3, And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. Now we've read the prophecy, we were reminded of a couple different scriptures where we're told that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem and none of us should be surprised that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We shouldn't be surprised about that. But even with the knowledge and even with the expectation that we have of our God being a God who cannot lie, the events surrounding the arrival of the Messiah in Bethlehem are amazing to me. Verse 4 tells us that Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That's around 100 miles away from where Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. And we look in the chapter before this, we know that God chose Mary, and in choosing Mary, Joseph was the one that God had for Mary, and he spoke to Joseph as well, and neither one of them lived in Bethlehem. It wasn't just a a short journey, it was something that would take them several days to arrive there, but God chose those people that were not living in the city of Bethlehem around 100 miles away. And so for Jesus to be born of the ones God chose in the right location, certain series of events would need to happen for that to come to pass, wouldn't it? Every 14 years, Rome would take a census in order to plan certain military assignments or to tax the citizens. And little did Caesar Augustus know as he was making this proclamation that he was being moved by the Spirit of God to do exactly what he did on time and to schedule it to be at the exact moment of history to be the result that God wanted. There's only a few days in which Joseph and Mary would need to be in Bethlehem. Right at the very birth of Jesus. And God knew when that moment was. God knew exactly when the day was. Caesar may have been ruling, but God was overruling in this instance. And God in his providence, he worked out all the details necessary so that Jesus would be born in exactly where the prophet said he would be. But as you look at Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph were incapable of making those things happen on their own. That order was out of their control, wasn't it? They had no impact on Caesar. They had no impact on what was happening in society. They were lowly people. It was out of their control. It was unavoidable unavoidable circumstances that happened to bring them to this point where exact prophecy was fulfilled. And as we look at our life this morning, there are many unavoidable circumstances that come in our life, lives, aren't there? Yeah. There's many different things that have come on your life and on mine that were unexpected. Some things that we would never wish them to be that way, but they 
are or they have happened that way. I want you to understand this morning and and know that God will often orchestrate certain circumstances in our lives to bring about his will. We look in the Old Testament, we could go in the book of Genesis there, the second half of the book, and find a young man named Joseph who was the favorite son of his father. He was given the coat of many colors, and Joseph was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. In prison, went through a, a great realm of events in, in his story, and what happened, he ended up being the one that, that led the, the whole project to uh, preserve food and to, and to plan for the great drought to come and ended up saving his family. There's a little boy, a young teenage boy named David, whose father Jesse sent him to battle to take some food to his brothers and at that moment he saw no one was stepping out to fight a giant and David said, is there not a cause? He saw the need. He ended up defeating the Goliath through the power of God. That was a circumstance he didn't orchestrate on his own. There's a young woman named Esther who was a Jew that became the queen of Persia and God used her, as the Bible says, for such a time as this to rescue her people from death. God used difficult or different circumstances to accomplish his will. Has that happened to you? Know today that anything that is out of your control, you can leave in the providence of God. We just need to trust him, don't we? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. The second part says, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Often we, things don't make sense in our life, or often we try to make sense out of circumstances that happen in our life, but instead of us leaning to our own understanding or what we think should happen or what we think certain results should be, we need to, in all our ways, as the next verse says, what? Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. For the Christian, for those who love God, the Bible says in the book of Romans, all things work together for good. There's so many things that had to happen in, in this story in the book of Luke for this prophet, prophecy to be fulfilled as God said, but it happened just as he said. And if God can do this, do you think God can take care of your little problems? you think God can take care of your circumstances? He can. In these details, you see the prophecy and the providence and we get to the even better part here in verse 6, the born Savior. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there's no room for them in the end. God's plan was fulfilled, the baby Jesus born in Bethlehem. He was born in a very humble place. Jesus' entrance to this world was Anything but glorious, wasn't it? This young couple, they arrived in Bethlehem. They discovered there was no place for them to stay. The inn that should have been available to them was, had no rooms left, and they found refuge in a stall used to take care of animals. As Mary delivered Jesus, she placed the baby in a feeding trough. That baby, as we just mentioned a little bit ago, Jesus, as my wife sang, was called Emmanuel. We spent some time a couple weeks ago on who exactly Jesus was, what his name meant, the descriptions that we find there in the proclamation of, of Jesus coming to this world. And Jesus was the Son of God, the Son of the highest. He was God in the flesh, the same God who made this universe and everything found within that universe is the same one that we find in the scripture in that manger. He wasn't born into luxury, but into a setting of poverty. 
And he humbled himself, as we read in the bulletin this morning, and came in the form of a servant. And not only did he come to earth in this humble way, but he continued to live in a humble way. At one point in his ministry, we could read in the book of Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus had no place to call home. He just stayed where he was able to stay. And when he died, others provided a burial place. He had a borrowed tomb. Nothing, no possessions to call his own. The God who made everything and could have anything chose to live a life of poverty. Why would he do that? Why, why would God come to this world and, and lower himself to, to, to that level? There's, there's one answer. Because he loves you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He did it because he loves you. He came down and he gave up everything so you and I could have everything. And, and he did it so he could understand our burdens. In Hebrews chapter 4 he says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He humbled himself and came to the world in, in such a fashion that he might end our suffering and die in our place and get us out of our sinful dilemma as we put our faith in him. It was humble. And the picture that's painted here, presented at his birth, is a powerful one. What do we, what do we see in verse 7? She brought forth their firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes that she wrapped him were these strips of cloth that were used for many different purposes. One of those would have been, those strips of cloth were the same kind they would use to wrap dead bodies and prepare them for burial. So even in his birth, there's a picture or a symbol of his death. The angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, And she shall bring forth the Son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The picture presented and the, the prophecy given, the command given, the statement was he was born to die. He was born to save. Now, there's no accidents or coincidences with God. From the very, very beginning of Jesus' birth, we understand exactly why he came. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the shepherds, but as we look in these, these coming verses, we see the angels come to the shepherds and they say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They called him Savior, Christ, and Lord. That baby in the manger was their Savior. Israel was in trouble. The whole world was in trouble. They had turned from God. They violated the commands of God. And it wasn't just a nation of Israel. It was every individual to walk the face of this earth that has a need for a Savior. They needed a deliverer. They needed someone that could rescue them from what their sin brought forth on them. They waited for the deliverer. They waited and now he's there. Not just a Savior, but Christ or Messiah. Christ is a term used in, in, the, in the Greek for the anointed one. The Hebrew term for Messiah was Mishiach, that the one who was born in Bethlehem. It is God's anointed one that was in that manger. The one that was empowered to carry out the work of salvation. Not just Christ, but also Lord. That's a, that's a, a great title that can only be given to him. 
Already in a little more than one chapter in Luke, we're, we're just in the beginning of chapter 2, but already the word Lord has been used 20 times in this gospel. The Lord was the title for the God of Israel himself. The angel said the child in Bethlehem is none other than the God of Israel come in the flesh to this world. So Jesus was not just the Savior, but Jesus was the sovereign one, the one that was in control of all things, the one that all glory and honor belong to in heaven and on earth. He is God. Let that sink in this morning. The one born that day in Bethlehem was the Savior, the Messiah, the Almighty Sovereign Lord. Jesus came to save. He didn't just come to be an example, even though he was. He didn't just come to be a teacher, even though he did that. He came as a savior. I, I read, sold writing, someone said, they said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been military, God would have sent a soldier. If our greatest need had been for justice, God would have sent a judge. But our greatest need was redemption, so God sent a Savior. Look, Romans says, for the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the penalty for sin is death in hell. Eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift we find described in Romans chapter 5 where it says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in chapter 10 it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what's the next four words? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then a couple verses later, it says, For whosoever, that's anybody, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's who he is. That's why he came. Here's the details of his birth. Secondly, this morning, let's look at the people involved in his birth. Beginning in verse 8. We find that God did not intend this birth of Jesus, this event, to be kept silent. As Jesus was born, there was some news delivered to some shepherds in the field. And as we look at these men in verse 8, they were common, weren't they? They were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And these shepherds, as you, as you know, they were men responsible for watching over flocks of sheep. The work was dirty, the work was hard. Required men, men to be away from their families for long periods of time and they would search for different places to graze the flocks and to lead the sheep to. And these men were often crude, they were vile, they were known for their sinful and evil ways and, and way of speaking and, and actions. The ones that we find here even had the bad shift of the shepherds. They were, they were away at night, they had to, to, to hold different hours than most everyone worked in those days and these shepherds would be often considered ceremonial unclean because of the duties that the occupation of a shepherd required of them. These men would have been the lowest of the low. They would not really have been much a part of the Jewish society, but it was those men that God determined would hear the news first. It was those men that God chose to receive the message of peace. You think there's something in that for us? 
It's a reminder for us at the very beginning that Jesus came for all. We imagine these shepherds out on this ordinary night. They led the sheep to the, the place they were. They're, they're sitting there or standing or walking amongst them and just tending to them as they did every night. And as they're there that night, all of a sudden there's a, the sky turns bright and there's an angel that begins to speak to them. And you can imagine the feelings they felt in that moment. The fear that they felt and the, the shaking, possibly hiding and covering their faces of what they were experiencing and, and questioning everything that was happening in front of them. It was nothing they had ever seen before. And the angel said, fear not. Don't be afraid. I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. I love what he says in verse 11. He speaks of the Savior being born, but who's, who's the Savior for For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want to praise God this morning that the message is a personal one. The message is for you. He is available to all. You know, Jesus came on an ordinary night. And, and, and God can speak to you on an ordinary day. Christianity is not just a religion intended for a select few. But just a small blessed number, it's something that's for all. You know, Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for these common men, and Jesus came for every single one of us this morning. They were common, and then we find after they received the news, they sought him. And it came to pass in verse 15, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. The angels told the shepherds where they could find him. They told him, He's going to be in the stable. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they left the hillside where they were with the sheep. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a a picture of where they believe quite possibly the shepherds would have been. They wanted to find him. They made haste. They quickly left where they were and, and went to where Jesus was. They sought to find the baby that the angels had announced because they needed that Savior. Now, regardless of of a person's past, regardless of your experiences of life or how low you may have fallen, how far you may feel from God, there is still hope for you. Regardless of how far a person may seem from finding Jesus, there's still hope for them. Because the Bible tells us that God turns none away, but he invites all to come to him, to, to meet him and be saved by his grace. And regardless of anyone's position, if you come to Jesus, he'll save you. The book of John says, all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's a guarantee. That's what happened in Bethlehem. What was their response to that? We saw Jesus' birth, the details surrounding it. We see these shepherds and the news coming to them. What what was their response? What did they do? The first thing we find is, There was praise. We see the praise, first of all, from the angels in verse 9. 
I, I love every year just thinking over the story and using my imagination and thinking over every aspect of it. I, I, I can see the angels speaking to the, the shepherds there and just how amazing that would have been. But as he finished the announcement, the sky was filled with even more angels. The Bible says heavenly hosts. And they all together, they shouted out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I can imagine how every single one of those heavenly beings felt. The emotions that they were experiencing at that time. Yesterday in the office, I was thinking over this, they, the angels were there from the very beginning. They knew who their God was. They knew how he created everything in this world and how mankind turned against him. And as they're announcing that the Messiah had finally been born, imagine their feeling as they watched their sinless God and creator down on earth as a helpless baby. As he, as he was at that moment just a, a, a weak little, little baby. They'd seen it all from creation. They understood the holiness of their God better than any other of his creation. They saw what Adam and Eve did and all of mankind to follow. They saw the actions at the flood and where mankind was. They saw the rebellion of God's people over and over again as they would go through the cycle of, of being away and coming back to him. And now they see his love manifested as he came to this world. And the gift of love that God gave to his creation moved them to praise their God for his love. That's the angel's reaction. What was the human reaction to that? We see several different things happening here, but the first one, in verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Verse 15, after they heard the, heard the news, it says, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them, they said, Let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. The first thing they did was there was acceptance. They heard the message of the angels and they reacted. And how they responded to the news altered the course of their life for all of eternity. If we think about this together this morning, they could have acted much differently, couldn't they? I would wonder if this would happen to us today or people in the day and age we live in, how they might react and these men could have heard these things they could have debated it maybe they could have sat down and analyzed exactly what happened they know they could go find the baby in the manger and in this place where the angel said but could we afford to leave our sheep what if something happened to the sheep while we were gone and we lose everything we have we lose our our jobs our ability to take care of our family and you know sometimes we talk ourselves out of responding to God in faith they could have debated it, they could have rejected it they could have said, you know, this is amazing, but I, I don't think this is for me. This is just too unbelievable. And many people walk this earth thinking the gospel to be something unbelievable. They could have doubted it. They could have ignored it. They could have had any amount of excuses that would keep them from checking out the story they just heard. But the shepherds chose to believe. Their words reveal exactly 
what they thought. You know, we, we just read verse 15. It's, it doesn't say, let us go see if, if this is true. Let, let us go find out if, if these guys are telling us the truth. That's, that's not what it says, is it? Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass. <laughs> he said, I believe what they said. Now let's go see it. Let's, let's go see this definite thing that happened. I, they chose to believe. They responded in pure faith. For all of mankind today, it is not enough for you to just hear about Jesus. It is not enough to, to be in church this Christmas season and to, to look in the Bible and see the story of the coming of Christ and, to, and just to think, oh, how nice. This is a, a touching scene. This gives me good feelings. You know, we could acknowledge that Jesus is born in Bethlehem a thousand times. We could read the story over and over again. We could, we could sing about it. But if he is not in you, if you have not received him in faith, you are still eternally lost. We, we can get sentimental at Christmas time and, and as we said, have those warm, fuzzy feelings. But if Jesus is not in your heart, nothing has changed for you. If you haven't put your faith and trust in him, nothing is different. All of man must accept him. We see the acceptance and then the other response was adoration. They, they adored him through their witness. They heard the invitation and they responded. They went. What does verse 17 say? And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. These men went from shepherds to evangelists in just a matter of a couple hours. God took these rough shepherds and they had no other option for their life at that moment but then to share the news they had just heard. They told everyone about this baby that had changed their life and the message the angel had given them, the Messiah is finally here. We don't know how many they told. We don't, we don't know if anyone went. We'd, I like to think that some people may have heard and, and went to the manger to see it for themselves. You know, many of us will never know who is going to respond in faith to the gospel message. You have no ability to, to know who is saved and who is not. To know who truly accepted Christ and who hasn't. All we can do is share it. All we can do is communicate what God has done for us. Our duty is to tell. And it's God's business to save. You know, somebody told me. Somebody told my parents. Somebody told me I had to see it for myself. And, and I'm here today to tell others so they can see it for themselves. You look at these shepherds, there's great adoration through their witness and their adoration through their praise. I just want you to remember who these shepherds were. They're real men. They're, they're crude. They're tough. A little obnoxious. And I would imagine that the celebrating these shepherds were doing was not a very artistic type of praise. <laughs> would you agree with me on that? It wouldn't have been very solemn or most likely not beautiful. Nothing they would have found in the synagogue. 
And it probably wouldn't have had the reflection of a a scholar in those days either. What we know in, in, in verse 20 is that these men, regardless of how they did it, they glorified and praised God. And I would think the only kind of way they knew how to do that was loud and excited. And I still think it brought a smile to God's face. They met their Savior, and it filled their heart with excitement. They had to tell people, and they had to praise the God who did it. Has it done that to you? You know know what Paul said? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, if we were to measure him up against other men in that day and age, he was a pretty good guy. He knew the law, he followed it. But Paul understood what Jesus had done for him. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Paul understood what was done for him. If you've heard this story this morning, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, you should never be the same. If you truly acknowledge this story and who this baby is and our need for him, it should have an impact on you. There's two things we should do, accept him and adore him. I was thinking of some things that have impacted me. My dad's dad, named Papa Himes, he died of cancer in 1996, the week of my birthday. And I remember as cancer came about him when I was just a couple years before that, he began to slowly decline and his health grew weaker and his bones were more brittle. And I remember sitting down eating lunch at, at Papa's house on a certain, I think it was like a weekend, and there at the counter with him and he was eating and I look over and he spits out a couple teeth. I remember as a, as a kid, I, I, my eyes grew a little wide, and I've never seen anything quite like that before. And he looked at me, and I remember him, him winking at me a little bit there. And, and he looked at me, and he said, boy, if you don't brush your teeth, that's what happens. <laughs> and I brush my teeth. Certain stories affect us, don't they? I was just talking with somebody this last week about the story of the gift of the Magi. Was that young couple in love, the one sold his pocket watch to, or chain to buy a brush for his wife, for her hair, and she sold her hair to buy him a chain for the pocket watch. Those stories impact us. There's some people here when you hear a story on the news or read an article about the need for more people to adopt pets. There's some people here that might be moved to Go, go help out in that cause a little bit. Stories have an effect on all of us. You know, what we just read is the greatest story ever told. How has it impacted you? If you never put your faith and trust in Christ, you're on your way to hell. It's not my words, it's not my desire for you, it's what God says. He came for you, and what we must do is accept him. Let's put our faith and trust in him for salvation, and nothing will ever change that gift. But if you've accepted him, 
How is it affecting you today? This Christmas season, as you remember your God humbling himself to come to this world, how does it affect you at this moment? Is it bringing you to adoration? Are you telling others about it? Are you praising him for what he's done? I want to look at verse 20. We've all heard the story, just as the shepherds did. I want to switch out that word shepherds for the church. It says, And the church returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's do that. What has that story done for you? Every head bowed, every eye closed.